Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. On this vote, the A's are 53, the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. Today, the Senate confirmed Judge Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. I can call her justice. And I guess I probably could have called her that before, but now I can officially call her a Supreme Court justice, making her the first black woman to be elevated to that status. And it is a big deal. It's a big deal. Three Republicans voted for her in a moment of bipartisanship. And it is an historic event. And it brings a new viewpoint to the to the to the um, to the Supreme Court. And it will make us better as a whole to have a different viewpoint because that helps everything. You you said it best at three o'clock that it diversity helps businesses and helps um, organizations. and, And the Supreme Court is no different. You get people with different life experiences different perspectives and usually you get a better solution i've I've just found that in my life Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. starting companies just having different people different backgrounds it's it's not a negative it's it's not a bug it's a feature and so i'm excited to see what she brings to the supreme court and you mentioned those three republicans susan collins Mm -hmm. of maine senator uh, lisa murkowski of alaska and senator mitt romney of utah cross party lines to support Judge Jackson. So, you know, a little bit of bipartisanship, although, you know, they were the only ones that crossed party lines. What was cool to me uh, was to have Vice President Kamala Harris make the announcement. Look, she's the first black female VP in America's history. And And just she was one of 11 black senators in American history. So the fact that Kamala Harris, VP Kamala Harris, presiding over the first female African-American Supreme Court justice, I mean, it was doubly historic to have that moment. It was cool. It was very cool. And um, uh, Chuck Schumer said, how many millions of kids in generations past could have benefited from such a role model? It always does amaze me that I hear women uh, women of color in powerful positions now. And they said when they were growing up, they never saw themselves on television or in magazines. They never saw, they, when I when I mean themselves, a reflection of them, like another, a black woman. You know, often the Cosby show was the first uh, for many, you know, uh, the, Mrs. Cosby was a lawyer and, and he was a doctor, you know, on the show. And, uh, and, and we need that. You know, we shouldn't discount that for young, all young people to be able to see a role model and say, oh, OK, that, that's an option for me. I can do that or I can do anything and just, you know, feel that they are represented. So not only is she a very qualified candidate, 
she's perfect, but well, not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but you know, she's good for the role. Uh, she will also be serving um, a real role model opportunity for young kids. And again, I mentioned this in the three o'clock hour. What impressed me most, and look, she's an impressive woman. She is. Uh, Harvard Law, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. has her stuff together mm-hmm. um, and has for a long time. But I think a lot of senators set out to test her during the confirmation process. A lot of Republicans who are still steamed about the way that Brett Kavanaugh was treated, mm-hmm. you know, even bringing up the allegations of assault. Don't want to relitigate that now. But there was a certain amount of, you know, let's go after uh, Ketanji uh, mm-hmm. Brown-Jackson and and get a little revenge. And she kept her cool. They asked her ridiculous, incendiary questions, and she kept her cool. She answered the questions. She She didn't snap. She didn't lose it. And... You know, for me, it th- there's a lesson there that um, there are times in your life you just you smile, you nod, and don't take the bait. Yeah, be the bigger person. Like be that. the bigger person. Don't take the bait. Um, and and you know, and because of that, uh, mm-hmm. she was confirmed, obviously, and she's going to be sitting on the Supreme Court. It's still a scorched earth zero sum game. And it's a shame that we're using the Supreme Court to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in many cases, decide policy when really that should be the role of Congress. But Congress is still so paralyzed and partisan. Mm-hmm. We don't get much done in Congress anymore. We do, definitely do not. But an exciting day. And um, yeah. it was it was fun to watch. When we get back, Mark Lindquist, we will be streaming that on Facebook and Twitter. You'll hear from Mark Lindquist. He is a Minnesotan who was running for office, put his campaign on hold to head over to Ukraine and be of service. He is a veteran, and we will we will talk to him live. He is boots on the ground now over in Eastern Europe. Mark Lindquist is next. Paul Douglas, Jordana Green. Dave Josephson, DJ, uh, thanks for joining us on a Thursday. I'm out east keeping an eye on my 91-year-old dad. Actually, Falker is keeping an eye on me. And <laughs> he is just as sharp as ever. And, He's and amazing. he has a photographic memory. He, he remembers stuff 70, 80, 85 years ago mm-hmm. with a clarity mm-hmm. that leads me to believe that he has a photographic memory. He, these stories have to come out of him. It's like Absolutely. a volcano. They, they bubble up. He's always telling stories, and he's been doing that since I was tiny, sharing these stories. And, and I'm really so happy that I get a chance to share them with CCO listeners. Dad loves food, Wait, too. Paul, can I, just, can I just tell our listeners, just because I said we were going to have Mark Lindquist oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on, okay. we're waiting for Mark. Mark is over, I believe, on the Polish border, um, helping Minnesotans in Ukraine. Right. And Or not Minnesotans, I'm sorry. He is a Minnesotan. He's helping the people of Ukraine, refugees. And did you want to jump in, DJ? Do well, we have him or no? Uh, n- no. Yes, but yet. let's wait till next segment. We have him. We have a little okay. technical issue, and I've connected with him, but we'll right. talk to him in about 10 minutes. Right. That's okay. why we didn't bring him on. So we're we're um, going to chat, chat chat with Volker. Just wanted to let everybody it, know what's going on. Yeah. Dad wants to talk about food and specifically mm. the Soviet Union and how for the longest time the Soviet Union couldn't feed its people. You know, maybe it is a statement about communism. It just it doesn't work. 
And so here's a conversation I had with Dad earlier today where he addresses the subject of food. I'm with my dad, and today's topic is food and Russia, or more specifically, the old Soviet Union. Hey, Dad, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being with you. So how do you want to start this out? You've had some experiences when it comes to food, and there's a fascination, almost an obsession with food in Russia. Why? Well, let me give the conclusion at the beginning. The Soviet Union could not feed her people or the satellites that she occupied. My first example is a visit in 1964. My wife and I were visiting my sister and her husband in Germany. It was our first visit after a few years. Wonderful greetings. And there, to our surprise, was my sister's mother-in-law, who had traveled from the Soviet-occupied part of Germany. There she was sitting on a blue sofa, and uh, the usual, hello, how are you, how was your trip? And then, right in the beginning, she scrooches to the very edge of the sofa, looks around, and obviously she had something very important to tell us or ask us. I was paying attention, of course. She looks at me. You're an American. Yes, I say, we're both Americans. You live in America? Yes, my wife and I do. Why? Well, I have a very serious question. Yeah? Go ahead. Tell me, do you always have enough to eat? I had not expected that question, so I gained a little time because I motioned to her that I had to translate it to my wife, and I said, look, dear, don't snicker, don't uh, laugh or anything. I know how to answer it. I just uh, have a normal uh, expression. I know how to handle it. So I turned to my uh, to, to my sister's mother-in-law and said, yes, we do. We have enough to eat. But let me ask you, why do you uh, ask that? She said, oh, every night on television and also in the newspapers, we see this terrible picture of Americans congregating in front of buildings, in front of food stores and supply stores and uh, waiting for supplies to come in. I knew she might be questioned by the police when she gets back to East Germany. So I was very careful and said, no, dear, I don't know uh, what you are seeing, but I can assure you we have enough to eat, really. It dawned on me later The East Germans on television were playing up union members in front of businesses. They were uh, striking. And they twisted it and said, these are hungry people waiting in front of food stores. Okay, uh, let me jump ahead to 1985. My daughter and I were visiting East Germany. We had the usual visa. We had all the papers. The East Germans were encouraging people with hard currency to come in. Everything went fine, but we had to stay in a state-run hotel. And that was in Mecklenburg, the state where I grew up. And we arrived at 6 o'clock. We're at the reception, checked in, and I asked, uh, where can we get a decent meal? We're pretty starved. The receptionist said, oh, I'll make a call for you. We have a wonderful place right down the street, one block. She makes the call. She hangs up. 
I hear her say, oh, all right. She turns to me and said, they are already closed. I said, excuse me, it's six o'clock in the afternoon. They're closed? She said, yes, they must have run out of food. I said, well, we're a little hungry. Any place where we can eat something? She said, yes, if you hurry, dump your bags. Right away, go up to the top floor. There is music and dancing, and usually they serve a cheese platter. So if you hurry, you can get something to eat up there. So we did. We got a cheese platter. This was 1985, and uh, good memories of the, the food supply in East Germany. Let me jump ahead again to 1988. Paul and I were in Berlin. We were going back and forth between East and West Berlin. We were all over. A good trip. And it so happens we were driving through a residential area in East Berlin. And here we turned a corner. It was a butcher shop. And there were 10 to 15 people standing outside in line to get into the butcher shop. Now, let me remind you, that was 1988. The war came down a year later in 1989. The Soviet Union broke up 1990-1991. Then East Germany was reunited with West Germany and probably for the first time since the end of the war in 1945. The people in East Germany also had enough to eat. They became part of rich Western Europe. The conclusion... The Soviet Union had, had never been able to feed her people or the people in, in, in the satellites that they controlled. But that's changed, right? It's better now. Oh, yes. As soon as Germany w- was reunited, when East Germany became part of West Germany, the Russians withdrew their troops. Uh, today, it is one country and fairly wealthy, and food was never a problem. Germany had enough food at four or five years after the war. So, no, all is well. <laughs> what about in Russia? Are Russians getting enough food? But the Russians couldn't feed their own people, and they certainly couldn't feed the, the people in the satellite countries like East Germany, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria. They were all in the same boat. Nobody had enough food. Dad, thank you. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. And again, it should be pointed out, as as far as we know, Russia can feed their people today. But the old mm. Soviet Union was a mess. And, and again, this fixation on food and did you get enough food to eat? And look, I realize there's still food insecurity in Minnesota and here in the United States. Way too many people go to bed hungry. But it was mm. chronic in the Soviet Union. And I've heard the stories, Jor, and it's not just Russian immigrants who thought it was all a hoax, propaganda, that the U.S. can't possibly have all that different food. I've heard this, <laughs> the stories about people from Russia and other countries walking into Byerly's, falling down on their knees and weeping because they just cannot believe that there's it's this much food, this much variety. They thought it was all a hoax. It's Many of them amazing. thought it was a hoax. Yeah. So I would agree that it's pretty amazing. Yes, that's right. Um, so I just can't believe his memory. Ten or fifteen people online. The blue sofa, like his blue detail sofa, is 
Amazing. I know. I wish I got those jeans. Uh, Mark Linguist, Minnesotan on Linguist, excuse me, Minnesotan on the ground helping Ukrainian refugees next on CCO. So happy to see our next guest, Mark Linguist, an Air Force veteran, Minnesotan, and he is now in Poland just trying to help. We had him on the show last week or the week before, and he shared his intentions that he wants to be a good Samaritan and go over to Ukraine and see how he could be of service. Well, he's there now, boots on the ground. And Mark, we're so happy to see you're safe and uh, glad to talk with you today. Thanks so much for having me back. Appreciate you giving this uh, story some attention. You got it. Paul, if I could just jump in. I said to Mark when yeah. we got on this live stream, which you can see on Facebook and on Twitter, I said, how's it going? And he sighed. So I said, all right, let, let's wait for the air. But h- how is it going? Give us an update. Um, it's equal parts exhausting it, uh, and inspiring. Um, it, it's a really unique situation here on the ground because y- you got to think of, of I'm, a, I'm a former military member. I'm used to getting orders from my chain of command, which come from, you know, the, the, the colonel, the general, the Pentagon. Right. We come here and there's no no playbook. There's nobody giving you direction. There's no chain of command. There's no. The left hand doesn't know what the right is doing, but that's what happens in a lot of these situations, right? And so in this situation, it's been um, so fast-paced, trying to create the network of people that you know, we call friendlies, right? Folks that you can trust, people that you might be able to go into, into the country with, people that have been establishing supply lines, people that know the lay of the land. Um, so that's been an important part of what we've done here this last week is establish solid contacts, mostly of veterans from all over the country and world who have decided to join up together because everybody comes here as an individual or many, and they're trying to find a team, people to join up with. So um, it, it's been going well uh, overall. I mean, the, the, the stories that we've, we've seen serving these refugees, the, the stories we've heard, um, it's the best of the human spirit out here. And so that keeps you going uh, in the midst of absolute terror. Hey, Mark, you're an Air Force guy, and I'm, I'm yes, curious what you're hearing from other veterans and also equally curious, what is your mission? Is your mission over there humanitarian to help the refugees in any way possible? Do you still plan to go into Ukraine and possibly fight with fellow, you know, with, with Ukrainians defending their land or are you making it up as you go? (laughs) A little bit of that latter, you know, it's all making it up as we go. Even even people that have done this before, we make it up as we go. Um, because as soon as you you think you know what is going on, it changed already. Um, so to answer your question, it's humanitarian. Uh, if and until that foreign territorial defense were to give me an, an entrance interview and then accept me. Now, I've heard from very, very, very few veterans from around the world who have gotten that acceptance. Um, And so now that I get boots on the ground here, I see that so much good needs to be done and so much work needs to be done on behalf of these refugees. Fifty, The the, the largest refugee camp in Shemesh, um, down six miles away from the Medca crossing. Um, That's where 1.8 million refugees have funneled through in the last six weeks. Their donations have dropped off 50% in the last two weeks, and that's going to happen again in the next two weeks because we've forgotten about it. We're on to Will Smith. It's uh, not time to move on to Will Smith and other things. There are there are people that are still waiting to cross the border uh, when there's a surge 
10, 12, 24 hours. A baby died at the border seven days ago. So when you, when, because of uh, exposure to the elements. And so when you see that with your own eyes, with the boots on the ground and you, you can lay eyes on the problem, um, I can do so much more good here and possibly inside Ukraine, coordinating, donating, uh, uh, you know, seeking donations, um, putting resources where they need to be in the hands of the people that need them, uh, using entrepreneurial skills and hard-charging military attitude. Uh, I, I, I believe I can do just as much good here doing the humanitarian work as I can with a rifle. And it's always been my opinion, if they call, um, of course, I'll use my military training and do whatever I can to protect Ukrainian people and, 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 and fight if I need be. But uh, before all that, there's so much good to be done on the humanitarian side. Sure. Can I ask, can I ask Mark, there, there's so many organizations out there. Uh, yes. Can you give our listeners some guidance on if, if, if we want to donate, we want to help out, we don't want to lose sight of, of the tragedy, the daily tragedies going on right. in Ukraine, where should they contribute? Where should they donate? This is going to be something that is hard for me to say and probably hard for people to hear. Uh, I am an American Red Cross, former volunteer, used to be certified with them. Uh, you know, I've worked for some of these larger organizations. What I'm seeing here on the ground, I, I'm, I've just got to be honest. Don't send the money there. They're drinking coffee in their tents. At the border, they're, 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 they want to look good. They want to look better than their next tent over so that they can put it on Instagram. The people that are doing the work and really getting the work done without any red tape and no bureaucracy solving problems on the ground are individuals who have traveled from all over the world and just decided to help where when the Ukrainian in front of them needs help in in this environment. Now, remember, I've only been out here for a week, so so take my my opinion with a grain of salt. But what I have seen so far is that it is the individuals who make the biggest impact and we, I, I totally understand. Nobody wants to donate their money to uh, a scam. Nobody wants to donate their money to someplace where it's not going to get to where you want it to go. That's why people are, 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 um, have a little bit of trepidation about donating to an individual. However, what I've seen here on the ground, the red tape debilitates any good effort because these big NGOs have a mission statement. They have donor accountability. They have all kinds of... They won't help somebody over here because that's not within their mission framework. And it's like, that's not what we need right now on the ground. We need people who are just willing to dive in. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was at the, the, the border camp at Chemish. It's six miles away from the border. There's 1,200 people that sleep there every single night. It was up to 5,000 people. It's an old abandoned shopping mall about the size of a Home Depot, let's say. And so I had heard that the, the, the staff members talking at, at the, the warehouse that said there isn't a piece of luggage in, in the entire city of, of Shemesh. Shemesh is about the size of uh, St. Cloud, right? And I said, no, no, wait, wait, wait a second. There's no way that that's true. They said the same thing about flip-flops because the women are not showering. They're not showering because they, they, when you leave your house, you wouldn't think to grab shower sandals, right? You wouldn't go barefoot in a refugee shower either. And so I, I heard about these two things yesterday, and I said, no, no, wait, wait, wait a second. I raised some money back in Minnesota. I got a van, and I went and shopped around town for the afternoon for three hours. And I bought about 300 pairs of, of, of shower sandals for about $3, $4 USD, because money goes further over here, right? And so I, I, I filled my van with that. I, I bought, they said there's no suitcases in town. You're kidding me. I bought 10 of them, right, for $20 a piece USD. 
And I showed up with all of this gear. I've got pictures on Facebook of, of what we donated. I didn't make it back to the back of the warehouse with my cart before they were gone. You know that you brought the right thing when you don't make it back to inventory before all the refugees take the items that you donated. Wow, that's amazing. You need and, someone and, on the ground who solves problems like that immediately. Yes. yes. that's. I wanted to hear more about how you're spending your day. But of course, going to the shopping mall and getting shower shoes, that's really important. Uh, did you find a team to join? And what? And, and, and is it just for you? Go in and see what they need, ask what they need, or are you doing other tasks? I think the most important, well, I'll, I'll answer your question first. I have, I've, we've linked up with random citizens from America. Uh, some of us met on Facebook because we knew we were going over. I met a gang that, uh, that uh, I'm trying to support. He's a combat medic from the uh, Marine Corps veteran. And um, he, we were crossing each other in the Warsaw airport, like one to another. And we saw each other with rucksacks on our back. And we said, hey, are you going? Are you going? And we met up. We, we had coffee. Um, and, and we've, we've been planning together, right? Now we had an ally. We had a friendly. So that's the first thing. Yes, we have about a team, about eight or ten of us that are coordinating, working, advising each other, giving each other intel, etc. Um, the day-to-day, it is absolutely what I maybe, maybe told you a couple weeks ago was turned out to be true. You're just not going to know how you can help until you get there, right? Until you put eyes on the problem and you use your brain to assess the situation and then ask yourself, how could I solve? this problem, right? How could I be an incident commander, you know, colonel general level decision maker and really make a difference out here because it's chaos and that's nobody's fault. It's, you you try to manage 2 million refugees to cross a border in six weeks, right? And so I'm just showing up boots on the ground with my eyes and my, my military battle buddies and we're trying to solve problems that we see. And that's why I got to get to Lviv because I don't know what help I can give until I get there. Hey, Mark, can I ask a real quick question? I know we're running out of time, but you talk to these veterans who've seen a lot. Are they impressed with the resiliency, the will, the fighting spirit of Ukraine? Um, I I don't think Russia knew what they would be confronting when they went into Ukraine. I think the veterans marvel at it as much as anybody and, and, and respect it and respond with, with the, their, their own fervor, right? Because how can you not look at the spirit of the Ukrainian people and say, well, that's what leadership looks like, right? That's, that's what we have been preaching about in our academies and our core values inside our military uh, uh, um, um, branches. Like, you will never leave an airman behind, you know? You, 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 you are a guardian of freedom and justice, your nation's sword and shield. That's in our Air Force creed, right? And so all of these themes, so familiar when we watch the Ukrainian people. Mark, how can we help you? I think it's, it's easiest to donate direct cash to a GoFundMe that's on my Facebook page, Mark J. Lindquist. You can Google or you can search GoFundMe for the last name Lindquist. Or I have a Venmo, right? And there's different ways that we're, that we're funding different projects via, via those two mediums. Because here's the thing. If folks know me from around the country or the region or, or my hometown, the one degree of separation I think matters. Now that you've got somebody that you know, or maybe you, you know, saw Sing the Anthem on, at the Vikings game or something like that. I think it matters that you have someone that you know over there. And yeah. maybe that would compel people to act. I get and that. so I am doing my best to stay in communication with, with fine folks like you who are willing to spread this message and say, hey, it's not time to move on to Will Smith yet. 
it is it is time to remember that this is a serious situation and people are still dying. And yeah. and I if I can do any small part to keep that at the forefront of people's minds, um, that's my mission. Even if it's twenty dollars at a time to buy a suitcase for a mother who used to have their life's belongings in plastic bags. Mark Lindquist, thank you for this incredible work that you're doing uh, in Ukraine. We're going to check back in with you. We'll check in with you as, as long as you're there. Check them out on Facebook, Mark J. Lindquist, L-I-N-D-Q-U-I-S-T, and we'll be in touch. And just thank you. Thank you. Be safe, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, my friends. Talk to you soon. Uh, he's inspiring. Wow. The people of Ukraine are inspiring. And we'll be back on CCO. There was a rabid fox on the loose outside the Capitol. And while it looks pretty happy and friendly, six people it bit. One woman had to get medical attention until they finally uh, got the fox into a cage and shipped it off to Guantanamo Bay. It was quite an event. The Capitol Police tweeted, uh, they wrote, we have received several reports of aggressive fox encounters on or near the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. For your safety, please do not approach any foxes. Or friends. One of the one of the unfortunate bites was a congressman who said, it, "I felt something lunge, totally unprovoked, right at the back of my leg," and he said, "It's been the most unusual day on the hill in ten years." <laughs> and with the exception of all those nut jobs trying to hang like pants, but this was a strong number too. But so, oh my. that's good. That's good. That's yeah, this weird. is a thing. There's Boxes. a fox, or maybe multiple. Um, foxes running around the Capitol grounds and biting Congress people. It's absolutely insane. I mean, they caught right. one. They're hoping it's just one. Is it, it, could it have been possibly bitten Marjorie Taylor Greene? Because <laughs> rabies would her. explain a lot. I don't think it was her, but it was definitely somebody else. But they, again, they did announce the Capitol, U.S. Capitol Police, like, stopped everything and went on the search for this fox. And they did cage it, like, as Jimmy said, and they did, they have it under wow. control, but they said there might be more than one. But how many? And, and they're worried that, you know, obviously it's being tested for rabies. So it, it attacked, uh, let's see, Ami Berra, a Democrat from California, Representative Berra. Hey. Wolves tonight, twins tomorrow. Have a good one, Jor. See you, Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.